Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me is Steve Edwards. Howdy doody from very rainy Portland today. Yeah, what's up with that? We had nice weather and now it's gone. Rain like in spring in Portland? I mean, that never happens. It, it's like we live in the Pacific Northwest or something. I don't know. Crazy talk. Crazy talk. Yeah. All right. So today is a panelist episode. We are going to be talking about a common topic among developers is setting up a blog and doing it with Vue. Both Steve and I do some blogging, and we thought this would be an interesting topic to discuss and kind of bring some things to light that you might not be aware of. So let's just dive in. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Steve, let's, let's first introduce what our blogs are built on and then kind of get into some of the tools that are used. So do you want to talk about your blog at all? <laughs> yeah, I my quote unquote blog is my my own website, which is one of the typical developer sites where you're spending time on everything else except your own site. So <laughs> as it stands right now, I'm just using straight view with uh, headless CMS called Butter CMS uh, as my backend. And then I've done other blogs with uh, Next one in particular I did recently uses Nux uh, just as a static site where it generates HTML files and is hosted on Netlify. And then um, older versions, uh, previous to 2.13 of Nux, which is where that content model came out, I've done a site that has content on, uh, it's not necessarily a blog, but same type of thing where I'm using Prismic as a headless CMS. So uh, the one, the static site, I was using Markdown, you know, just your standard content model in Nux with Markdown contained in site and then just build a static site from there. Now in the past, prior to my immersion into Vue and JavaScript, I would use, uh, you know, Drupal because that was what I worked with professionally for a number of years. And so I would use, I used that back when, <laughs> back in the days before Drupal 8, when it was easy to spin up a small Drupal site and get something going as compared to what it has become more enterprise focused these days. Yeah. I, my, my first site was, was started in the olden days, I think on WordPress too, many, many, many years ago. So I have that same relationship with an older, older system. And eventually I migrated it over to head using, I forgot what I'm using. I'm using Nuxt right now. Sorry, it's been a day. Uh, <laughs> I'm using Nuxt right now with Markdown files, but I, I, you know, it's been an interesting migration. I started when I first moved from WordPress. I switched to Gatsby because Gatsby was the hot new thing. I think 2.0 had just come out, or it was in beta. And then I really liked Gatsby, but I also preferred Vue, so I switched to Gridsome. Yeah, I remember and, that when you were talking about you're making your site in Gridsome. Yeah, and honestly, Gridsome's great. 
it provides a similar interface as Gatsby. So you can use GraphQL to access the file system and do integrations with plugins and everything. It's really cool. The main reason I switched from Gridsome to Nuxt was I felt that the Nuxt ecosystem was moving faster and I wanted some of the features and functionality that was coming out of it. And I was finally able to do that when they released the, the content module. So now, my, who's it? We talked about, I'm looking back at old episodes here. We talked with somebody about the Netlify CMS with Nuxt and how you plug that into an existing Nuxt site. And I asked him all kinds of questions. I'm actually doing that as well for my site, although I haven't written a new blog post since I set up Netlify CMS. Yeah, I can't remember what it is. But anyway, Daniel, so Daniel you, Kelly. are you using that? Are you using that was, that? Oh, it's Daniel was, Kelly. Yeah. Daniel Kelly, episode 135. Yeah, okay. Get right that into the notes. Yeah, because I sort of started to play with that, and I've got like a site created, but I never really fully implemented it. Uh, there's some weird things with, like I remember there's a change in the path from where the content in my current site was versus where Netlify CMS wants to put it. There's a another level down. I can't remember the content structure, but uh, yeah, I never really finished playing with that. How, how's, it, how's that work for you? I've been pretty satisfied with it. My blog, I only have one type of, of post, one type of content for Netlify CMS to handle. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I, I've been I've gone in, I've made edits. I, like I said, I haven't written a new post with it since I installed Netlify CMS. Mm. But getting it up and running felt pretty straightforward uh, for my use case. Did you use like Netlify's? I think they have a repo that you can just spin up and then tweak? Did you do that or did you just build your next site and then incorporate, manually incorporate the Netlify CMS into it? Yeah, in my case, I already had the Nuxt site set up. I didn't want to have to start from scratch. Right, yeah. See, that's, uh, where, the, I ran into the, that's where I ran into the content directory structure differences. It was like Netlify had an additional level and I, could, I never did figure out how to change my uh, requests to the, the methods that get the content to add that additional directory level. You know what I'm talking about, or am I smoking something? I think I remember what you're talking about. And I my best guess is the docs were updated since between you looking at it and me looking at it, and it either made it worse or made it better. I don't remember what order we looked at them. But when I was looking at it, it it I mostly just had to follow what it was saying. I think there were a couple times I had to figure it out from my own site's configuration. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it was it was pretty straightforward. And it's it's really nice to work with because the the Netlify CMS ties in straight with your Netlify site if you and you just have to turn in the authentication with them, right? So I'm able to just go into production. So my my website is lindsaykwardell.com. I can just go to lindsaykwardell.com like slash admin or slash CMS something like that. I sign in, it takes me in, and I'm able to start working on my pages. The, the one complaint I have about it, and it's the same one that Daniel brought up in, in our discussion, is that it's built in React. So it's tricky and or not feasible to actually render what your application looks like with view components inside of the React Netlify CMS. So it'd be really nice if there was a version of Netlify CMS or something like it that was built in Vue rather than React. Mm-hmm. But that's, the, that's really the only downside I've seen, and it's not a, not a huge deal. I just go back to my website and take a look. So you said you were using Butter CMS, and I'm, I'm just going to say I really like the uh, the headline there: "Headless CMS You'll Melt Over." Oh, that's fairly new. I haven't seen that before. That's that's pretty good, and 
I'm just curious because I've I've always gone with Markdown files since I migrated off of WordPress. My my primary reason being, I moved off of WordPress because I didn't want a database and I didn't want to have that reliance on a third party that I'm tied to. And when I'm when I moved off of WordPress, I actually copy pasted all of my posts into Markdown files so I didn't lose anything. So I'm I'm curious what what draws you to Butter CMS in particular, but using a headless CMS as opposed to just Markdown files? It could just be experience and, com- and what I'm more comfortable with. I find editing in something like a headless CMS with the editor to be easier than tweaking Markdown files. You know, just a personal preference more than anything else. And some of the other, you know, with the headless CMS, you have a lot more flexibility in terms of content modeling. If you need that, you know, maybe for something like a straight blog, it's not really necessary. But if you need more complex data modeling, you know, you need to set, uh, have different content types and maybe relationships between them or, you know, adding custom fields and all that kind of stuff. It's just a little easier. And then the nice thing is, you know, once you have your API code set up in your next project, you know, depending whether you're using GraphQL or RPCs or, you know, whatever language the CMS is using, then, you know, you just go in and add it and you're good to go. And then you can build or, you know, however you want to deploy it. But uh, I just like the, I guess you could say it's, I just like the flexibility in terms of content modeling and editing that you have with the head of CMS that you don't quite have with, with Markdown. So you might say that you like the uh, the buttery smooth approach to a CMS. Oh, score one for Lindsay with the pun. <laughs> cool. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, that's pretty good. It's you know I've done when I was looking at what was I doing? Oh, when I was doing a site for a nonprofit. I think I've mentioned it before. People are probably tired of hearing about it, but I did a lot, a lot of research. I had you know bookmarked folders of all the different have the CMSs that were out there. And I looked at all of them, what it took to set it up, what was the cost, and that kind of thing. And so uh, that was the one where I settled on Prismic, partially because of functionality. Uh, and the, there's one uh, piece of functionality they're missing that blows my mind I can talk about in a little bit. But it was for a nonprofit, and I was trying to keep it you know, as low cost as possible. And, and so with them, I was able to, you know, get a free instance if it's just one user and then I could hook into it really through the next. And I really like Butter. I'm using Butter because they give you like a free developer account. And what's interesting, at least the way it was then, uh, I'm not sure if they still do it this way, was they give it to you free, but you have to put a link to the Butter in, in your footer. You know, this site built with Butter CMS type of thing and they verify it on your site and then they manually enable your account as, as a free account. But from a cost standpoint, they jump up pretty quick. Uh, I'd have to look and see what the costs were, but I remember thinking it was- 49 a month for a blog. Yeah, just for a simple blog. And that's not even access to their full capabilities. Yeah. It's limited capabilities. And then you uh, go to 124 and 249. Yeah, you get 50 blog posts and it's not so you go to their startup model that you get, you know, more capabilities and stuff. So I, I really, really, really like Butter as a product, but for what I was doing, the price wasn't worth it. You know, so and Prismic allowed me to you know, do that. But the one thing about Prismic, and like I said, this blows my mind, is you know, if you look at some of the more basic HTML elements that have been around since, you know, since Tim Berners-Lee created the browser, I think, 
<laughs> you know, there's like your H1 and H2 and P tags and stuff. And there's a block quote tag that I haven't looked up the history. I know it's been around for a long time. And in the rich text editor, which is where you would, you know, sort of a text field or, you know, text area type of field, they don't support it. And if you go and look on the forums, there's different workarounds they have where, you know, you can create a custom tag, I think, custom tag or attribute, or you create a custom attribute. And then, but then in your, on your front end, you have to look for that attribute and replace it with the tags and just all kinds of stuff, which makes it a pain in the rear. If you're trying to do, you know, highlights and block quoted text in the middle of a bigger piece of, of content. So anyway, that's part of the reason I went with the markdown on the more recent blog that I did as compared to Prismic was because of that I was doing a lot of block quoting and it was just too much of a pain. But other than that, they've, Prismic has a lot of features. They have a whole slice mechanism, which is pretty cool. And you can do a lot of complex stuff. And I know they're always working on it and improving it. So hoping they get the, uh, the block quote stuff added soon. Yeah, Prismic's one of the ones I hear about a lot. I haven't, I haven't dived into it too much myself yet, but seems yeah. very cool. But in terms of other CMSs, there's all, there's all kinds of different variations in terms of how they work. There's self-hosted ones. I think with Strappy, does that ring a bell? Um, mm -hmm. I think is a self-hosted one. I know there's content. Some of them are definitely geared towards enterprise because you'll look at their pricing and the minimum pricing is, you know, 500 bucks a month. So you're like, oh, okay, they're not geared towards a smaller guy. <laughs> like Contentful is free for up to five users. And then after that, it goes to 489 a month. And then enterprise is custom. And there's other ones that are similar to that. I can't remember them off the top of my head. So it just depends on who they're, what's their target market, what's their target audience that they're looking for versus some of the other maybe smaller ones. And then you've got, you know, like the Netlify CMS that we were talking about earlier that's, you know, with a hosting, you just plug it into your site. It's free to use. It's fairly basic because basically all you're doing is modifying markdown files as compared to them storing, you know, having a backend with databases and, and so on to store your data. It's just giving right. you a UI to to edit your content. One of the nice features of Netlify CMS, though, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, but I'll verify in a second. But uh, I think you can also connect it with Cloudinary so that you can do image uploads yes. straight to Cloudinary. And then your, your content kind of forks depending on which way it needs to go, which is really cool. Yeah, that is cool. You can do that. You, there's also, uh, I've got this art, this, I've had this tab up in my browser for I don't know how many weeks now by Maya, Maya Shaveen. We've had her before and I think we're going to have her again soon. Yep. About using Cloudinary within Nuxt apps. Maybe I'll make that as a pick. But it's pretty cool how you can use Cloudinary outside of Netlify CMS as well, just with Nuxt by itself. And I've used it. It's, it's pretty cool. And Cloudinary is awesome. Yeah, I've I've been very impressed when I've used Cloudinary. Sadly, I haven't had too much of a need for it, but it's a very impressive tool when you do use it. it go, actually, there and there's there's other services too. Butter has one that's built in, and I can't remember what it's called. I'll look I'll look it up real quick. But it's another Cloudinary type service, but it's built into Butter that does your uh, images. Yeah, that's called their Image Transform API. Um, nice file stack. That's what it is. So yes, I mean, and for those who aren't familiar, oh, I guess we can step back and explain what we're talking about. So, you know, images, what you don't want to do is, is upload this huge image and then display it everywhere, but just controlling the size with CSS because you're still downloading a huge image. It's just a matter of how it's actually displayed. And I can remember in the Drupal world when this functionality first came, they call, first came in, they called it image cache and image styles. 
And the idea is that you upload your image to a server and then based on your predefined uh, styles that could involve resizing, cropping, stretching, changing just the width and not the height, all that kind of stuff, it reads all your information from your style parameters and creates another, a separate image that's much smaller and actually what you need, just the size you need as compared to downloading some huge image into your browser every time and then just only showing it in a certain size. And so Drupal had this stuff built in where you would upload it on the server, it would do all this manipulation and create different sizes for you and create a URL for the given image that you could pass in. And so what things like file stack and Cloudinary. Thank you. Wow, talking about a brain fart. Cloudinary do for you is you upload the images to their back end, and then all you do is you call your URL with specific parameters that says, okay, I uploaded this image. Now give me this image, but give it to me with this height and this width or crop to such a size or you know whatever the myriad of, of options that they have. So it, it takes all the heavy lifting, does all the heavy lifting for you. You just say, okay, here's my image. Now give it to me in such and such a size, which makes it easy to plug into things like a, was it a picture element or, you know, doing responsive images or, you know, however you need to display it, but only displaying the image that's um, not, I want to say minimize. There's a term I'm looking for that just as small as you need. So anyway. One, one of the nice features there is it also works nicely with lazy loading an image. So I think Cloudinary in particular, you can fetch a, a lazy version of the picture where it's just very blurred out. Oh, and, then right. it will, and then it will also fetch the, the clear version as soon as possible. But that lazy version is going to be a much smaller file than the, than the larger image, the full picture that you're wanting to display. So it'll fetch faster, fill the screen or, or fill the content area that you're wanting an image in. And then you can have a, either a fade transition or some other kind of transition in there so that your full image is able to come in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I believe that's one of the uh, uses of Cloudinary is you can just say, this is the kind of image I want. Mm-hmm. Cool. Have you heard of forestry.io? Have you used yes, that one before? I, I, I have. I've looked at it and played with it a little bit, but I do not remember. It uses a lot of front matter. Am I correct there? Or am I thinking of something else? I Yeah. So forestry.io is in many ways similar to Netlify CMS, but rather than being hosted inside of your own application, it's hosted on their website, forestry.io. And then I believe the free tier allows up to three repositories and three users. So you can get in there, you can create different types of content. So a blog has this shape or a page has this shape, you know, things like that. And then you're just working with the markdown in a, in a regular WYSIWYG editor through their system and it will commit back to uh, GitHub or GitLab for you. It's, yeah, that's it's like Netlify nice. does. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's, yeah it's just like Netlify CMS. It also has the same kind of integration with Cloudinary. The main benefit is you can use it if you're hosting somewhere that is not Netlify. My my personal experience says they're pretty good. I, I've used them for a nonprofit and it's worked all right. At this point, I kind of lean more towards Netlify CMS because I like building in things myself and Again, not being too reliant on third parties. Yeah, I'm the uh, same way. Closer to the metal, better. Yeah. But I think if you're just setting something up for a client or just for like a family member wanting to do a blog, forestry is pretty good. It does it definitely does the job. So what you say, so when you're saying it's it's okay, what's what's it missing that would make it better? 
don't, I don't know exactly. I think it's more of a feel than anything. Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like Netlify CMS. Well, one, one of the things about Netlify CMS is you can customize it more because it is just a local instance in your uh, application. So if you want to set particular kinds of uh, input fields, or I think you can even make custom input fields, mm-hmm. that's something you can do in Netlify CMS. You cannot do it with Forestry. So there's a little bit more lock-in. You as can far as add the, custom fields to your content types? In Forestry. Hmm. So, so what do you get then? I don't understand. So so like you're working in the front matter, and let's say you have type of post that is like posted, pending, draft, something like that. Unless unless I'm mistaken, and that's always a possibility, haven't found it. In Forestry, that would just be a text string that you have to type in yourself, where in Netlify CMS, you could actually make that as a dropdown, and these are the options that can go into it. Right. Yeah, if I remember that. So in that way, Netlify CMS can provide a more user-friendly approach for somebody than Forestry. But again, mm-hmm. I could be wrong in that. It could be a feature that I just missed. But while I was setting it up for the nonprofit, that was a that was a sticking point. Uh, we had a, a dropdown of, or there, we would have liked to have a dropdown of icons uh, using Font Awesome that they can just choose from to to inject into any given post. Have you ever used Ghost? I've heard of it. Yeah, me I, too. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, it's. It, I remember. I think it's it's one of the self-hosted type things. And I have to look it up again. It seemed to be pretty popular. I think it was one of the sort of like uh, Gatsby that started out as a little side project. Eventually, it became its own company, its own thing. Found their website. It is ghost.org. It looks like they are more of a full CMS. It might even be trying to be like the WordPress of Node, if I remember correctly. Oh, okay. It's built on Node. That's right. Yeah. They just launched Ghost 4.0, though. So maybe it's worth uh, doing some investigation into. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yeah, I'm remembering some of the other ones I'd look for. I'm looking at a link here. Dotto CMS. I know Eric Hanchett had a video of Dotto CMS in view. Cosmic JS is another one I looked at. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a huge number of these headless CMS and integrations. Oh, I know. It's just exploded. <laughs> How many what? are uh, available anymore? It's just crazy. One that I want to explore and I haven't yet is Storyblock. Have you used that one? No, I haven't. We interviewed somebody with Storyblock on here. And I remember talking about it. And I think, yeah, gosh darn it. Now I can't remember. <laughs> that was with... Alba Savente Fuentes. Yes. On episode 130. Yes. So I guess we should go back and listen to that. She, I remember the way she talked about it. It was, she really liked it in the way it integrated. It, took, it takes a little bit of work to set up and get integrated, but I've seen it talked to uh, people talk about it in the Drupal world as well from a design standpoint. So they even have an article on how to use Storyblock image service with UJS. And one of the nice things I've heard about Storyblock is that it is also developed in Vue. Oh. So maybe there's more of that integration that you can get for live loading and stuff. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So we've, we've talked a lot about the headless CMSs. Let's talk about some of the tools we can use to actually build our site using Vue, because that's why we're here. We want to build a blog with Vue. We don't just want to write blog posts on a CMS and have them live somewhere. So we've talked a little bit about Gridsome. 
talked a little bit about NUCs. Is there anything else you want to say on those or should we talk about some other, some of the other options? I guess one of the things we can talk about is view versus next in terms of SEO. Mm. We had, I also am one of the panelists on JavaScript Jabber and we had an episode, we recorded an episode of one of the DevRels from Google search not too long ago and doing two episodes a week, it all sort of runs together. Really, really good episode. It was, in fact, we had so much there that we recorded for two hours and had to, uh, break it into two shows. So I don't think it's out yet. Oh yeah, here it is. JavaScript Jabber number 476, we had part one. Martin Split, Deverell at Google is who we talked with. And anyway, one of the issues that I brought up with him, and I think it's probably gonna be in the second hour, uh, the show that episode that's not released yet, is Google search and SEO for server-side rendered versus straight JavaScript, you know, something that will view. And, you know, obviously it used to be the main issue and the reason for things like Next and Next and Gatsby and static HTML and all this was SEO because the issue was that when the bot would get to your uh, your site, uh, all it had is the JavaScript. There was no server site. And so it would have to execute the JavaScript to go get the content. And sometimes that would take too long. So there was no content for the bot to index. So in other words, so what you get is sites built with front-end frameworks that had terrible SEO because there was no content to index. And so that's why you get Next and Next and server-side render stuff so that first page load, you have content there, it can be indexed and, and your SEO is better. According to him, and this has been the case over the past few years is Google has gotten a lot better at being able to index JavaScript and he goes into a whole explanation. My head was spinning and so I can't remember all of his explanation. And combined with that and other things such as pre-rendering services, that makes it not so much of an issue to where you don't necessarily need a server-side rendered application to get good SEO when you're using a JavaScript front end. So, and some of the other alternatives that are used is, for instance, Netlify has a pre-rendering service that they will use. And you just basically have to go into your control panel and turn it on. It's just a button. There are other things, for instance, what we use at GovTribe, and we talked about this in the episode uh, with my boss here a couple months ago, is something called Rendertron. And what we basically do is this, uh, if I remember correctly, it runs over uh, all of our content and basically creates a cache of all your URLs and your content. And then that's what the, the Google bot sees when uh, it comes hunting. So anyway, that was... Uh, one issue that's, you know, a common one that seems to be less and less of an issue uh, going forward. Yeah, I still haven't explored doing some sort of uh, pre-rendering either with Netlify or something like that for a, a standard view CLI application. But that's that seems really powerful, especially if you already have an application that you just you just want the the SEO, right? Right. And you obviously have to do some work on your end uh, in terms of, you know, using something like view meta to generate your, your OG, you know, tags, your meta tags, your descriptions, your titles, your OG and your um, open graph and Twitter, you know, if you want someone to be able to tweet and have it show up in a Twitter card, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So you got to do some work on your end, but with its, your results are better and better with just straight view as compared to using something server-side or statically rendered. 
That's very interesting. Yeah, for me, I always tend to go towards something like Nuxt, primarily because it provides that that structure that's already present. You have your pages folder. You don't have to set up the view router. You have your components that auto import now, so you don't need to worry about that. And then you've got the Nuxt content module, which again, I like having markdown files. So it, it, to me, Nuxt becomes this all-in-one solution for building a site like this. But there's definitely some overhead that way. <laughs> there's a lot of functionality that I just don't need because I'm building a very basic blog. Right. Yeah. You don't, yeah. It's, you just need something basic that'll get the job done. Don't necessarily need all the bells and whistles. My personal preference after working with Vue and Next is that I prefer Vue just because it's, for lack of a better term, less cluttered. There's not so much to think about because you're not dealing with the back end and a front end. It's easier to deploy and so on. So, you know, I've been playing with, uh, at work, we use Laravel as our backend and crazy, huge, complex structure that we have using MongoDB as our database. And uh, a while ago, I think it was a JavaScript Java, we interviewed Jonathan Reinick, who create, has a, a framework called Inertia.js, which is, allows you to plug and play different back and front ends and create a monolith type site. And I'm going to start playing with that. I have a couple sites that I want to play with that are both more internal tools than external websites. But I like that concept because it gives me a little more granular control in terms of how I control my data and how I access my data. And it has authentication and other things built in uh, using Laravel with Vue and Inertia. So I'm going to start playing with that here pretty soon. One of the options I've, I've often heard about, and even Evan Hughes talked about it, is using something like ViewPress or... Uh, Vite press if you want to use Vite with it mm-hmm. to to build out a full blog and i always look at that and think it's interesting especially since view press is so lightweight and it seems like it would be perfect for this kind of thing i just i shy away from it because view press is that site that you see everywhere for documentation <laughs> and i obviously the theming can be changed but it it was designed for documentation and it is excellent at that mm-hmm. and i in some ways, I worry that a tool so... I mean, it was very precision designed for documentation is how I feel. And I, I worry taking a tool like that and shifting it over to be a blog is like the, the metaphor of taking a hammer and looking for, at everything like it's a nail. Granted, mm-hmm. ViewPress is a very lightweight hammer, but is it really? does it really meet that purpose? Or is it just something that people say, hey, you can do this too, and it's cool because we're developers and we like doing cool things? Yeah, I guess that, you know, you've, you've probably got more, or you do have more experience in this considering that you've used Gridsome for your site and ViewPress. Is there, what is the differences between ViewPress and Gridsome in your experience? Because they both seem to have the same underlying structure, just geared towards different things. I know Gridsome was sort of the answer, Vue's answer to, to Gatsby, but there's, I mean, they're both using Markdown files underneath. And I know Gridsome has the whole GraphQL stuff built in, so you don't necessarily have to use Markdown files. But other than that, what are their main differences? Do you know? I think ViewPress, the primary benefit of ViewPress is you can write your entire site just using Markdown files, mm-hmm. and it builds everything up for you. So you don't need to think about all of the, the view components necessarily. And also, because it is designed for documentation, you can then import those components into the markdown, if I remember correctly, and just have everything side by side, which makes it excellent for documentation and doing demos of code. 
Gridsum is a lot closer to Nuxt than to ViewPress. It provides you with the same kind of structure where here's your components folder, here are your pages. The pages are auto-generated, so you don't need to think about the router. But everything is written in view components, basically. And then you have that GraphQL layer where you're able to fetch either local files or interact with headless CMS. Or I wrote a, a plugin for Gridsum to fetch data out of the GitHub API. So I, I think Gridsum's more comparable with Nuxt than with ViewPress. Probably the, the closer comparison to ViewPress would be something like if you wanted to build a static site using Vite. And we, we interviewed Anthony Fu a few episodes ago. And his website is entirely using Vite. Um, he's using his template called Vitas, where it it's a Vite application for development, so super fast. It generates static assets. It imports markdown files as components. All the components are auto-imported, so you can just start using everything anywhere. Uh, and that feels a lot more like what ViewPress is going for, but it gives you additional flexibility of being a full-on view application, and you can dive in at whatever level you want to use it at. Well, how is it? I don't understand how it's using Vite. Vite is a development server, right? That's not, you know, sort of a parcel rollup type thing, right? But it's just using straight using it with just straight view components and view yeah, it's just straight. And all that. It's, it's straight view components. A lot of it is abstracted using some plugins for Vite. So there's a there's a Vite Pages plugin that will allow you to have the same benefit like Gridsum and Nuxt have of having just a Pages folder and the router just generates based off of that. Okay. It, similarly, there's a plugin for view meta where you can basically have like a meta tag in your component and on the pages, and it, you'll be able to set any meta values that you want. But it's so, using, but it's generating static site, your HTML files, right? Exactly. It's generating a static HTML at the end. Mm-hmm. What is, and what does it use for production build? Because Vite doesn't handle that. It's just for the development side of things. Vite uses Rollup for, for That's production. Right. Okay, it's Rollup. That's right. So it's Rollup. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I just heard an episode with uh, with uh, Evan on Shop Talk Show uh, with Chris Coyer and Dave Rupert. And they talked about a lot of that. They got him really into the weeds. Nice. So we are getting close to our end, but we've built our website. We've written our content. wonder if we should have a separate episode trying to decide what, what content to write. That's another difficulty of running a blog. Right. But uh, where, where are we going to put this thing? Where are we going to host our newly minted view-based blog where do you like to host things i use netlify for mine just i haven't done anything in next that needs a you know the backend server so for the most part i use netlify just because it's a piece of cake to set up and they've got all kinds of good tools uh, you're managing your deployments and forms and you know all stuff and it's short and sweet easy to use yeah i tend to go with netlify as well i remember finding it and thinking why in the world would I not host here? What? <laughs> when am I going to need something besides like a full application? Mm-hmm. When am I going to build a site for myself that that doesn't work with this? I especially like that Netlify has the uh, Lambda functions that you can set up. And as we talked about with Daniel Rowe in a recent episode, as you're building out a Nuxt application, you'll be at, with Nuxt 3 and Nitro you'll be able to deploy even the backend on Netlify because it'll all become just serverless functions. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so that's one of the things I want to do with Next is I'm not, I guess, uh, what I'd like to be able to do, because Netlify charges you for, for build time, for yeah. static stuff. 
And so ideally, and this was what I was, uh, when we talked with Daniel, I was asking about the different deployment options in Nuxt for your target versus your, um, I forget the other value, is to be able to have something you can deploy where the JavaScript would hit your back end on page load if you want to, instead of having everything statically built so that you don't have to rebuild every time you add new content. Right. I know, for instance, the dev chat site was on Netlify, but because of the large amount of changes they made, they ran out of build time or they used a lot of build time, so they went back to WordPress. So yeah, if I can do something like that where I can have a backend and still host it there, you know, convert it to functions, then that would be ideal. Yeah, I know Next.js, if we if we look at the React world for a moment, can do something similar to that on Vercel. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Nuxt 3 will be able to do the same thing on Vercel. Because Vercel, that, that's one of the, the key features of hosting a Next app on Vercel, I feel, is you, you can have that invalidation of a particular page and just rebuild very quickly. But I don't know if that's a feature of Next or if it's a feature of Vercel, since I tend to live in Viewland and deploy everything on Netlify. Mm-hmm. So that might be something worth looking into. So uh, they're only Next right now, but so Vercel is working towards hosting Vue as well? Is that what you're saying? I think I'll have to look into that more because Daniel was talking about hosting a Nuxt application on Vercel, not, not just for Next. Let me let me look real quick. So I'm on Vercel's website and they have a number of templates. Next.js, Commerce, Starter Kit, Svelte. Oh, well, they do Nux, have Nuxt. Nuxt.js, Ember, Angular, Gatsby, Eleventy, yeah, Hugo, Blitz. So they got a whole bunch of stuff here. Interesting. Now, in terms of other options, you know, I think Netlify is one of the targets. And there's Heroku, you know, something like Heroku or DigitalOcean or um, Linode, you know, if you need that back-end yep. node server. Although I believe those are going to require a lot more work on your end to get that backend server up and running. But if you're dealing with a static site, you can host that anywhere. I mean, you could host it in an S3 bucket. Sure. S3 has the option where you can go into a bucket or a folder and you mark it as, you know, I think it's as web hosting or it's hosting a website or some sort of option. I've looked at it and played with it before. So you could literally dump your site files in there and host it from there. And then there's also things like uh, GitHub pages. I know you can host Nuxt on GitHub pages. You can just build it and have your disk directory and point it to your disk directory and you're off and running. Mm-hmm. So the statically built site where you don't need that backend server certainly gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of where you can host. Once you require that backend, then that sort of changes things and limits your, your options. There's one option I've been hearing about more and more recently that is render.com yes i have heard of that too yeah and they're they're pretty cool they i think their their main take is we're heroku but better Um, (laughs) and better on support and better on pricing i think are two separate things but i think they're aiming for both Uh so you can host a static site on render for free right and just hook it up to github just like you would with netlify or anyone else but if you want to have a back end, then you can you can spin that up for seven dollars a month. Yeah. And I well, believe the in the comparison they have with Heroku, the the tier that they put you on for seven dollars a month is a lot higher. The only downside is you only get seven days for free. So you don't get as much time as you do on Heroku to try it out and make sure everything is working before you start paying money. Oh, with the services level? The seven dollar yeah. level? Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you only get seven days for free. Mm-hmm. Which is fine if you have your application already, but 
to get to that point, you might need to deploy on Heroku a bit first. Right. Cool. Is there anything else that you want to talk about on building out a blog and getting it deployed? From a structural standpoint, no. No, I think we've covered all the different uh, tools that were out there. I know, like I said, we've talked with Debbie and we talked with Daniel Rowe recently about Nuxt and all their capabilities, whether it's Nitro and the content module and and all that. So Nuxt is is uh, really growing and expanding and adding to their capabilities for sure. Like I said, if I don't need that server-side rendering, I'm more comfortable just in straight view. Uh, you know, if I can handle the SEO with a pre-rendering service or some other method, then I'm, that's my preference. Some people like, you know, the built-in routing capabilities for you because you can do that and just render it, you know, as view without having any next stuff if you like all that built-in router capability. To me, I don't find that router that daunting. <laughs> so for me, it's not really an issue. And if anything, it gives you a little more flexibility. This is very true. It's that, it's that ongoing debate between convention and configuration, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, Nuxt does have quite a lot of modules that you can just plug in and play if you want to. If you look at like awesome Nuxt, it's just crazy number of modules and things that you can just plug in for, for different things, whether it's uh, authentication, you know, with SEO, with, you know, you name it. There's all kinds of different things out there. The ecosystem is, is definitely large and growing. This is true. I think my last point would be when you're looking at the SEO, make sure you're doing everything you can as well for accessibility, which will help get people onto your site more. Uh, Google scores things based off of that, as well as things like maybe you want an RSS feed based off of your blog posts. You probably want a site map to help with mapping out everything on your site for for the search engines and all that. Yes. So just something to keep in mind as you're building out your site. It's not as simple as, hey, I've got server-side rendering. I'm good to go. <laughs> it, it's a lot more than that. Yeah, yeah, I mentioned that earlier. You definitely got to got to get the site map and uh, you know submitting it to the search engines and and all that stuff. It's not easy. I remember you. I think you had to help me out with a little bit on my sitemap generation on my static site. Yeah, it's not working. Not unfortunately, it's not easy. But luckily, there are tools. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Let's wrap up this episode for now, and let's move on to picks. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Picks are the show, part of the show where we talk about things that we like with the, and share them with the community. It doesn't have to be programming related. I will go first today. And I'm actually just going to do a shameless plug at the same time. So I was recently on the Modern Web Podcast. I, I'm now working at this.labs, this.media. And I was on with Rob Ossel and Hunter Miller. And we were talking about the release of the Tailwind just-in-time compiler 
and utility CSS in general. So I'm just going to plug that and put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Steve, what is your pick today? I'm actually, I don't have a physical pick, but I'm going to start doing a thing. I mentioned, I think it was last week, my favorite, some of my favorite sources for dad jokes. And so I decided uh, what I'm going to do is if I don't have a pick, well, even if I do have a pick, still do a dad joke or two of the week. And so I'll throw out a couple there today. You can groan or laugh as is merited. Uh, so for instance, I come from a family of magicians. I have two half brothers. And so yesterday I had an, a police officer come to my door and he said he was looking for a man with one eye. I told him if you use both eyes, you'll probably find him a little quicker. <laughs> Thank you very much. I can hear the groans already. So anyway, those are my dad jokes for the week. Thank you. I think, uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be fun. I look forward to them. Great. Hope you all enjoyed this episode. You can find more from us at Views on View on Twitter or at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. You can also find Steve at Wonder95. Hope you have a good one and see you again next week. Adios. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.